As we think through the Christmas season and, and through this whole month so far, we've, we've talked about the joy of Christmas and how to find joy, maybe how to rediscover joy, but maybe most importantly, how to hang on to that joy. We sing Christmas songs that are full of joy. The one that comes to mind is the Silent Night song, Oh Holy Night, I'm not going to sing it for you, but then the next line always gets me. All is, what's the word? All is calm. Now, I don't know if I live in a different world than you all, but that's never our Christmas. Like all is calm, all is bright. This silent night never describes the Christmas environment and the Christmas chaos that I experience and my family experiences throughout Christmas. In fact, I would venture to say not so much the the calm of Christmas or the joy of Christmas comes out often, but usually it's the stress and the chaos of Christmas that comes out. I made the, the bad choice of going shopping this last week, and I had two of my kids in the car with me, and we're sitting at a red light, and maybe you've experienced this, and, and maybe you've been the one to do this, where you're sitting at the red light, and then the light goes green, and you're not fast enough on the gas pedal. And so we're sitting there getting ready to turn, and the light goes green, and the person next to us, you could see him in the car, uh, was very eager to get moving. And as soon as that, that light hit green and the car in front of him did not go, I mean, just laid on the horn. I mean, not one of the polite, like, you know, the polite version, right? The beep, beep. Like, that's the polite honk. This was not the polite one. This was like, it's time to go! and laid on the horn all the way through the light. And so my kids were next to me, and, and, and <laughs> I love their questions. I do my best to answer them the best that I can without throwing other people under the bus. And so my kid's like, Dad, why did he honk like that? And I'm trying to be nice about it. I don't know the guy's story. I don't know. Maybe he's trying to rush to the hospital. Like, there could be a lot of good ex explanations. I was like, you know, it's like sometimes people just get really stressed out and they act differently. And then I kid you not, I'll admit to this. And then my kid said, well, dad, you use your horn too. And I'm like, well, hang on, time out, time out. And then I explain, there's the polite beep, beep, and then there's the lay on the horn. I don't lay on my horn. They've had a hard time understanding the difference there. So if you ever hear me honk at you, it's going to be the polite beep, beep, I promise you. But we could all be in that situation. We could all tell that story of I'm trying to get someplace and it's not going fast enough. We talked earlier about pace and how people don't match our pace. Everybody else is either too slow or everybody else is too fast. And all of that develops stress and worry and anxiety and chaos in the Christmas season. So where do we get this idea? Like that's reality, right? I mean, just go to the mall, go to, go to the outlets today, and you will see that there's not joy, there's not peace, <laughs> there's not calm. So if that's reality, the question is, where does the idea of joy in the Christmas story come from? Like, where does the idea of peace and calm come from in the Christmas story, the actual Christmas story, if we don't tend to experience those things personally? When I think about specifically Mary's story, we're going to go through and look at Mary's story this morning. When I think of Mary's story, I don't think of calm, silent, joyful. I think of stress, worry, anxiety, and chaos. 
Like just if what you know about Mary's story before we get into it, just kind of play through her story as a movie for a moment. And the emotions are not full of joy and wonder and calm. No, it's she is interrupted in her plans and in her life by an angel that says, everything you think you know, everything you're planning for is now over. Here's what's going to happen instead. So that whole wonderful fairy tale ending you had with Joseph in your mind is now thrown out the window because you are going to give birth to a son. And no, you, no one's going to believe you on this, mind you. Even Joseph's going to have a hard time believing you. So begin to think through the stress and worry and anxiety Mary should have felt. Well, I was planning to get married and I'm doing all my wedding planning and I've got this life planned out for me and Joseph and our future family. Now all that's gone. What are people going to say when they hear that I'm pregnant? What are people going to think about me? What's Joseph going to think about Mary? If you know Joseph's story, he actually considers divorcing her. So what's Mary now dealing with? She's dealing with what other people are going to think and what Joseph is thinking. Are they going to actually get married or they're not? And if they do get married, how's this going to actually work? Because technically I'm having a kid that's not his kid and I don't know how well that's going to work out. And what are my parents? Like you can imagine the stress, the worry, and the anxiety that Mary should have felt. I say should because as you're going to see as we go through her story, that's not there. What, what would stress me out, what would worry me, what would be, bring me anxiety does not bring Mary stress, worry, or anxiety. In fact, her response is pretty beautiful. Her response is full of joy and is full of calm. So what did she know? No, we're not going to sing the Mary Did You Know song. But what did she, what did she know that led her to a joyful peaceful response versus a stressed out, worried, and anxious response when her world literally got flipped upside down. That's what we want to wrestle with. That's what we want to look for. So as we go through Mary's story, if you got your Bible, Luke chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 26. If you have a Bible, um, have it open, take a look at it, make some notes, read through it with me. If you don't have a Bible, we've got a stack of them uh, close to where the hot chocolate's at. I know you know where the hot chocolate's at. So next to the hot chocolate, you see a stack of Bibles. That's our gift to you. As we go through this story, look for those two things, the things that would worry you and stress you out, and pay attention to Mary's response. Here's how the story begins, verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, we talked about Elizabeth and Zachariah a few weeks ago, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Before we keep going, you might be here today and you might have just needed to hear that. Nothing else. Know that God loves you, God sees you, God cares about you, and he is with you. If that's you, you can turn me, tune me out the rest of the morning. You just need to know God's with you. It's the first thing that God, through Gabriel, said to her. Your world's about to be flipped upside down. The life as you know it is about to be over. The first thing that he wanted to make sure Mary knew is I've got you. I'm with you. No matter what news is about to follow, I've got you. Verse 29. Obviously, uh, Mary doesn't know what to think. We're told she's confused and disturbed. Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Like, oh, this sounds like this isn't going to be good. What's going to happen here? Verse 30. We see this. I say it every single time. We see this every time an angel shows up. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. 
You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever, and his kingdom will never end. We're going to come back and spend a lot of time on that, that section of Scripture there. I'm going to keep going so you see the scope in the rest of the passage, but we're going to come back, just make a, make a note, verse 32 through 33, we're going to come back to it. So here's her response. The first question she has, verse 34, Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. That's a fair question. Like, that's great. Like, walk me through this just a little bit. Help me understand how what you say is going to actually happen. I love that Gabriel actually tries to explain some of this on some level. Verse 35, the angel replied, well, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy. That means set apart. And he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say that she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. Verse 37, for the word of God will never fail. Now notice how Gabriel's explaining this. I love, I love his progression here. He tells this great news to Mary. Mary has an understandable question like, uh, hang on, time out. Like, I don't understand. I don't get it. Like, this doesn't make sense to me. I don't see how this could possibly happen. So then Gabriel answers her question by trying to walk her through it. Begins to start to say, well, this is kind of like a God thing. Like, it, he is different than any other baby, and he's going to be born different than any other baby. So it's definitely a God thing. And then he points back to Elizabeth. Well, like, for example, like Elizabeth, people didn't think that could happen. That's a miracle. So he points to her, and he ends with, it feels almost like Gabriel's just like, because God said so. Like, that's how it feels. Well, you know, God's going to do this, but, and like, he technically kind of helped with that, you know, it just because God said so. Like, my, my two oldest kids are learning their, uh, their math facts, multiplication, division, and different things, and um, we're getting very close to the point where I can no longer help them with math, and yes, they're only in the second and fourth grade, and I'm okay admitting that. And so they're going through these, and they're working on them, and, and they ask the question, like, well, Dad, how does that work? And they're like, well, Dad, how do I get this answer? And so I taught them, at least I was taught this in school, do you remember the nine trick? You remember this thing? If you're a teacher in here, you're probably going to hate me. But this, was, this is how I teach my kids math. I'm like, well, anything divided by nine, you use the math trick. They're like, what's the math trick? I'm like, your teachers don't tell you this? This is the greatest math trick in the world. So check this out. All right, nine times two, one, two is one, eight, 18. You don't seem very impressed. <laughs> like, this blows my mind. And okay, let's do nine times three, two, and seven, 27, right? And then you could go, well, nine times four is... 36. So I'm showing them, here's how you can multiply with nines, and that'll teach you how to do it. And they're like, well, how does that work? I'm like, I have no idea. <laughs> no clue. But it, when I learned math, my teacher said, here's the trick on learning how to multiply by nines. And I'm like, well, they're like, well, what happens when you run out of fingers? I'm like, you don't count that high. <laughs> There's no need to ever multiply nine times anything more than the digits you have on your hands. So don't worry about it. Right? They want to know a little bit more. And I'm like, well, I don't have a good answer for you. I just know this works. Every single time, it doesn't matter. I can multiply nine all the way up to nine and figure it out, no problem. Right? But I don't understand how it works. But I know it works. That feels like what Gabriel's trying to explain to Mary. I don't fully get it either, Mary. But God's word will never fail. If God said this is going to happen, it's going to happen. You've got to trust in him. I do want to point out, I think it's very important and intentional on Gabriel's behalf to point to Elizabeth. 
right? And the reason I bring this up is because so often we're like, God, how do I know this is true? And God, how do I know you're going to work? God, I read the promises here. I hear what is said on this stage. God, how do I know that that's true? And we say, God, prove it to me. Show me. Sometimes the way God shows you is not just in your life, but in the lives of the people around you. Gabriel used somebody else's life and somebody else's miracle to say, hey, Mary, trust God. I know you may not have seen this in your life yet, but I want you to look at Elizabeth's life. Look what God did in her life. So for us today, as we're wrestling with faith, God, how do I know this is true? God, how do I know that you're going to be good in your word, good on your word? And look at the people around you. Look at those miracles. Look at how God has worked in other people's lives. And we say, ah, I see what God did there. And that maybe doesn't give me full understanding, but it does give me confidence and trust. Bottom line, the word of God will never fail. God can be trusted. And then verse 38, Mary's beautiful response. Because still at this point, if I'm Mary, I'm thinking, that's not a very good explanation, Gabriel. Like, you really didn't tell me anything, right? You showed me the nine trick, but it doesn't actually help me understand how and why this is going to work, right? So it's a God thing, and his word can be trusted in. The miracle happened with Elizabeth. So what? But this doesn't answer my question how this is going to happen, right? Gabriel technically doesn't answer her question. So I would think Mary's response would be like, sounds good. But back to my original question. How is this going to happen? How can this be? Why me? Like think of all the questions that you would have, all the stress, worry, and anxiety of not having an understanding and not having a known answer because those uncertainties breed anxiety. We would think her answer, her response would be like, yeah, you got to tell me more. This isn't enough. Instead, we get a beautiful response from Mary. Verse 38, Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. What a beautiful response. She responds that way not because she fully gets it. Not because she fully understands. Not because Gabriel gave her the perfect answer that she now is able to comprehend. It's not because the timeline is all laid out. Well, let me walk you through exactly what's going to happen over the remainder of your life and the life of your child. Let me help you understand what's going to happen with you and Joseph and how that marriage is actually going to work. And let me walk you through what people are going to think. He doesn't walk her through all the things that I would say would cause stress, worry, and anxiety. Yet somehow she's still able to say, I'm the Lord's servant. I'm his. Whatever he says, I'm in. I don't fully get it. I don't fully understand. But I'm in. And in that response, we do not see, and I know I may be making a little bit of an assumption here, I don't see anything that points to stress, worry, and anxiety. I don't see that. Mary could have responded, well, let's give it a shot. Well, let's see how this goes. Well, I'm a little nervous about this, but let me try. No, it's full on, I'm the Lord's servant. What you've said, may it come true. I'm in. So how is she able to stay calm, full of peace, and full of joy in a situation and in a circumstance that for any normal person would cause stress, worry, and anxiety? How is she able to hold on to her joy? To answer that, I want to go back to what Gabriel does say about Jesus. That's where I said we're going to come back to. If you want to look back at verse 31, 32, 33, Gabriel and the announcement that, Mary, you are going to have a son— in that announcement, he gives some specifics, not a ton of specifics, but I think he gives enough. 
He gives enough specifics about who Jesus is, not necessarily what's going to happen and what's going to happen in the future, but who Jesus is and will be that I think is where the joy comes from, where her hope comes from, where her trust comes from, where that calm comes from instead of the chaos and the stress and the worry. So that's what I want us to look at for the rest of our time. This first part, Gabriel says, you will conceive and give birth to a son. You will name him Jesus. We say that pretty nonchalant, especially if you grew up in the church. Like, we don't think anything of that. For Mary, most likely, she would have heard the name Jesus. And yes, it's a familiar name. But she would have also most likely have known what that name means. Literally, Jesus, Yeshua, means Yahweh saves. Yahweh is salvation, meaning God saves. So right there from the beginning, he tells her, God's with you. And then the very next thing in regards to this news she hears, and God's going to save you. God saves. Just by the very name of Jesus, she's beginning to hear, he's with me, and he's going to save me. Then Gabriel, in verse 32, begins to give some descriptions. Let me read all of them, then we're going to go through them one at a time. He will be very great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Those four descriptions of Jesus is what I think Mary held on to. I think that's why she had peace and joy instead of stress and worry. So let's look at that first one. Gabriel says that he, after his name will be Jesus, he will be very great. Talking about the power, the greatness of Jesus. The very power of Jesus, the power to calm the storms, the power to overcome physics by walking on water, the power to heal the sick, to heal disease, to overcome death, his own death and the death of others, and ultimately to have the power to overcome sin. That's very great. That describes Jesus's power and his power, when we recognize the power of Jesus, do you know what that does for us and what I think it did for Mary? That gives us confidence, right? It's not in my own power, but it's in the power of Jesus. And a lot of times that stress, that worry, that anxiety creeps in when we try to do things that we cannot do, right? When we try to work in our own power, when we try to solve problems that are too big for us, that's when we start to feel overwhelmed because it's beyond us and it literally is beyond us. So we have to rely on the power of Jesus. He is very great. The power of Jesus gives us confidence, confidence to trust in him, confidence that he can do what he says he's going to do. Power that they're recognizing that there's confidence and trust that nothing is too big for him. There's no problem that you're facing that he cannot handle. There's no problem you're facing that he hasn't already walked through himself and handled. So for Mary to hear Gabriel say, Jesus, God saves, and he's also very great, he's got great power, is going to give us confidence. That confidence helps us to hold on to the joy. Then we're told he'll be very great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Son of the Most High. And if you're reading in your scripture, you'll see that Son, Most, and High are all capitalized, referring to Jesus as not just a baby boy, but fully man and fully God. Speaks to the divinity of Jesus. That he's not just your typical baby. No, this is God in the flesh. This is God making his home among us. 
In fact, one of the the prophecies from Isaiah that speaks to Jesus and this moment we're reading about in Luke, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. All right, then the Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Not that God sees us, not that God knows us, Not that God even cares about us. No, this is God is with us. God is living amongst us. So for Mary to hear that God was not just going to be up there, but he was going to be right here, gives comfort. The divinity of Jesus gives us comfort. When you recognize that Jesus is not just man, he's fully man, fully God, and that he desired to walk with us, to deal with all the troubles that we deal with, that he experiences what we, he experienced what we experience today, that he's walked through the difficulties just like we do, that gives us comfort. Comfort because we're not alone in this, right? We're not on our own to just figure it out. It's not God sitting up on his throne, just reclining back, checking in on us every now and then, wonder what Brian's up to today. Well, I'm making mistakes again, I figured. No, he's involved with us. With us. He is with us. So for Mary to hear from Gabriel, he's going to be very great. He's going to be powerful. That should give us confidence. To hear that he is the son of the most high, that he is the son of God. He is fully man, fully God. And he's being with you gives us great comfort. That I don't have to walk through this life alone. I've got God walking with me. Then Gabriel said, the Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor, David. Not to go too much into the history here, but King David, that's David and Goliath, David, king over Israel. Like there, there's a lineage there that's very important to, to the Jews at this point. And the idea is, is what Jesus is coming into is he's coming as king. He's coming to reign, not as king or not as reigning as, as what we would probably think of in a government term. Not even what a lot of the Jews were expecting because they were under the oppression of the Romans at the time. They kept thinking, hoping, and wanting Jesus to take over from Rome. And each and every time she's like, no, 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 you're missing why I've come. I've come to bring my kingdom here on earth, not to just overthrow a kingdom. He says, no, I've come to be your king, to be the king. Now, there's a couple parts of being a king, that Jesus' kingship that I want you to see here. First, understand the authority and the greatness of his kingship. Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 and 11. Therefore, God elevated him, Jesus, to the place of highest honor, Gave him the name above all other names. At the very name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So right there, we get a great glimpse of King Jesus. Right, This Jesus, this king is not just normal. Every knee will bow, every tongue confess. Speaks to his authority, his glory, him being exalted on high. But that's not the only part of Jesus' kingship. That tends to be where we go. When we think of kings, we think of authority. We think of other people bowing below. And that's absolutely accurate. Jesus invites us to bow before him, to surrender before him, and to follow him as our king, most certainly. But there's another aspect of kingship we don't always think of. Let me read out of Psalm 91, see if you can pick up on it. This still describes the responsibility of a king. Psalm 91, just the first part. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God and I trust in him. For he will rescue you from every trap, 
protect you from deadly disease. He will cover you with his feathers. He will shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. And you could keep reading through the rest of Psalm 91. And you're going to see protection and promise, protection and promise, safety and security all throughout the Psalm 91. So what does that teach us about kingship? See, a good king isn't just expecting authority and reverence and humility from those in his kingdom. A good king also protects those in his kingdom. A good king says, I've got you. A good king protects you. A good king provides for you. A good king gives you safety and security. So for Jesus to come in and be given the keys to the kingdom, it's not just about his authority, although he, he most certainly has that. It's also about his role and responsibility to care for those in his kingdom. That's us. He cares for you. He protects you. He provides for you. He loves you because that's what a good king does. The kingship of Jesus gives us security. Doesn't mean we get everything we want, right? You don't go to the king and, say, and make demands of the king. The king knows your needs. The king protects you from invaders. The king makes sure you have what you need. The kingship of Jesus provides security. So again, for Mary, all these unknowns, all these uncertainties, all these what-ifs, she's beginning to get a picture of who Jesus will be. Begins to see the power that he'll have, which gives her confidence. She begins to see that he's not just a regular baby boy. No, he's fully man and fully God, which gives us comfort to know that God is truly with us. She hears that he's going to be king and he will be a good king. So all of our needs will be taken care of. He's aware of what the kingdom needs. And he is there to provide the safety and the security and the provision for everyone in his kingdom. Then we get this last part. And it's like good news just keep getting better. Verse 33. And he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. You've heard the phrase, all good things must come to an end, right? All good things must come to an end. That's true, except with Jesus and his kingdom, because he will never fail. He will never leave. He will never go away. He will never fail us, and his kingdom will never end. It's almost like we're waiting for, where's the bad news in this? Like, where, where's this going to all fall apart, Right, my, my daughter, she turned six last Friday, so she, we have big birthday, gingerbread tea party things that, anyway, my wife's great. She made it all work. So from that, though, the day before, so her birthday was on a Friday. On Thursday, we're sitting around the table and all excited for her birthday the next day, and I looked over across the table and said, like, Collins, this is your last day as a five-year-old. Are you excited to be six tomorrow? Tomorrow's your birthday, and your mom's got all the gingerbread fun things. Like, are you excited? And she says, no. I'm sad. And she said it just like that. If you know my daughter, like she's the animated one out of my three kids. And she's like, no, I'm sad. And she was serious, not playing this out, like truly sad. I'm like, honey, like, why are you sad? Like, tomorrow's your birthday. It's going to be great. We've been planning this thing for months. Like, this is going to be great. She's like, yeah, but tomorrow's my birthday. And then after tomorrow, it's not my birthday. And so I'm sad. And I'm and like, my wife's cracking up and I'm just like, yep, that's how it works. You get one day, you're done, so sorry. Enjoy your one day and then you can be sad the rest of the year, I guess. But it's like, that's, that's how she was thinking about it. She was already looking for when it was gonna end. Well, this is great. Yeah, but one day it's gonna not last. 
Well, this is good for today, but what about when it's no longer here? And often we can do that with Jesus in our faith. This is great. His power, his might, his love, his care. But what about when it's gone? And I hear the stories of all that he did, but what about when it's, what about today? I love that Gabriel saved this one for last. His kingdom will never end. His reign will never end. It's the eternity of Jesus. And because of the eternity of Jesus, that gives us hope. Because of the eternity of Jesus, we are given hope. Uh, Paul, if you know the story of Paul, um, you know that he has gone through a lot of difficulties in his life and shipwrecked and disease and like almost killed and tried to be assassinated. Like the apostle Paul in sharing the good news dealt with a lot and even in the midst of all of his troubles, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, all the way through 18, I want to read his perspective. And it's an eternal perspective. It's, an, it's a perspective with eternity in mind. And if you really want to see the whole scope of it, read the beginning part of chapter 4, and you'll see, oh, this is what he was dealing with. And it's not just like a bad day. Like This is a bad situation that he's been going through. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, Paul says, this is why we never give up. He's about to tell us why he keeps going. Why don't the difficulties stop me in my tracks? Why don't I end it? Why do I keep going? He says, this is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Again, go back in chapter four. What he calls small, I would not call small. Like, no, those, those sound devastating, Paul. But he says, when you look at the big picture, our present troubles are small and they won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them all and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on the things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see will last forever. In other words, what Paul is saying is, I've got my eyes on Jesus and he never fails. I've got my eyes on the eternity of Jesus not my present troubles. They're small when you look at eternity. As Gabriel's explaining who Jesus is and will be, he says the eternity of Jesus is what's gonna give you hope. And when we recognize the eternity of Jesus and that we are invited into that same eternity with him by believing and putting our trust in him, like Paul says, our present troubles are small. That doesn't minimize what we go through. But when you look at all of eternity and you compare today's troubles with all of eternity, it is pretty small. Doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. Doesn't mean it's not difficult for us. But if we focus on the eternity of Jesus, it puts other things in perspective. So why was Mary able to stay calm and full of joy in a circumstance and hearing news that, in my opinion, should have caused all kinds of stress, worry, and anxiety? I think it was because of what Gabriel said in those four descriptions of Jesus. He's going to be very great, and so you're going to have confidence in him. He's going to take care of you because he can and he will. That he is God with us, fully man and fully God, and that gives us comfort that we're not walking through this life on our own. As Gabriel looked at Mary and said, but he's also not just powerful, he's not just God, but he's also a good king. He'll provide for you. He'll take care of you as a good king takes care of those in his kingdom. And it will never end. This king, King Jesus, will never be overthrown. 
His reign will rule forever, and we get to be in that kingdom for all of eternity. And that's what gives us hope, and that's what gives us confidence and comfort and security. Mary could have focused on her current situation and her current circumstance. And if she did that, I have no doubt that the worry and anxiety would be through the roof. Instead, I believe, as we should as well, focus on the character of God. So let me leave you with that. In the midst, not just of the chaos of Christmas, but in the chaos of life and the stress and the worries and anxiety of life, focus on the character of God more than your circumstances. Focus on the character of God that he is very great. He is the son of the most high, that he has his throne and he is king and his kingdom will never end. Focus on the character of God more than your circumstances. That doesn't necessarily change your circumstances, but it does put it in perspective and it gives us hope, confidence, comfort, and security. Last thing I'm going to have you do, because I'm sure like me, this sounds great at 9.30 in the morning and then you're going to jump right back into the chaos as soon as you walk out of here. So I want to give you just a moment. This might be, very well could be, uh, your only silent moment, your all is calm moment for the next who knows how many days. So please don't rush through this, right? So just take a minute and get comfy for the next couple minutes. And what I'm going to have you think about, pray about, and reflect on, I'm going to put it up on the screen. I'm not going to read through the whole thing. What you're seeing here, uh, this is what in Scripture is known as Mary's song. See, if you keep reading through where we left off after Gabriel left, Mary actually goes and visits her cousin uh, Elizabeth, who's having her own baby, that whole miracle with John the Baptist, like I said, we looked at that a couple weeks ago. And as she arrives to her relative's house, she sings this song. And if you were to just read through it, Notice the focus on the character of God. Notice the joy my soul praises. My spirit rejoices. Look, in God my Savior. Notice what he does for her and what he's done before. She's calling out, here's who my God is. Here's how good my God is. Here's how loving my God is. Here's how strong my God is. And all the worries and all the stresses, I believe, cannot live when we begin to praise God like this. If you're like me, you've got plenty of things you're stressed about today. Take a moment. Sit in not just the presence of God, but with the posture like Mary who out of anybody should have reason to be stressed out. Yet this was her response because she knew who her God is. May we do the same. Know who your God is. Know who Jesus is to you. Why he came for you. Focus on the character of God more than our circumstances. Take a few minutes, read, pray. Let's begin to have a posture like Mary's.